0: Our text for this morning is the first psalm. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, who does not stand on the path with sinners, and who does not sit in a meeting with mockers. But his delight is in the teaching of the Lord, and on his teaching he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water, which yields fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. Everything he does prospers. Not so the wicked. No, they are like the chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Yes, the Lord approves of the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Dear Heavenly Father, these are your words, and so we know that they are the truth. We ask that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. This psalm basically walks us through two ways of of doing life. Uh, You have doing life uh, God's way, and the other path is doing life in the way of this world. Uh, There's a a saying that is sometimes said among pastors. It's that uh, there's no better time to be a Lutheran than on your deathbed. right? And this phrase has been illustrated for me several times throughout my ministry. Uh, It's clear that that doing life according to God's plan, according to his way, and following his word, it, it leads to the life that is filled with purpose and meaning. It's the only way to live life where you know that when you die, it leads to eternity with your God. There's two situations in my ministry so far that have really stood out to me as illustrations for that phrase, right? Uh, There's no better time to be a Lutheran than on your deathbed. Uh, One was almost exactly a a year ago. Uh, One of our members calls me up and he says, Pastor, I'm going to die tomorrow. And uh, I, he had he had COVID, and uh, he told the doctors that he was elderly, so he didn't want to be intubated. So they said, "Yeah, by tomorrow, by tomorrow afternoon, your lungs will not be strong enough to sustain life." And so I, I rushed over there. I brought him communion. I, I spoke with him. I, I, I was prepared for uh, you know a really emotional um, emotional conversation, but I was shocked at how first how comfortable and how strong he looked. He was speaking to me as, as easily as I'm speaking to you now. Sitting up in his bed, he did not look that sick. Uh, but what really struck me was the confidence with which he spoke. Now this guy, Vern, he knew that in less than 24 hours he would be dead. But there was no fear in his voice, right? There's no, there's no worry, there's no trepidation about what was to come. He spoke to me about grace, about the forgiveness of God. He spoke to me about Jesus dying for him in his place. He spoke with this confident, bold faith. He knew that tomorrow, when he, when he died, that he would be with his God. He spoke of the excitement that he had of knowing that he'd be reunited with the people that he loved who had already died in the faith. The doctors were exactly right. Vern died that, that next morning, and he died in, in bold, confident faith, trusting in the promises of his God. Uh, the other situation was when I was pretty fresh in the ministry. Uh, somebody who was not associated with our church called me up out of the blue and said, uh, I'd like you to go to the hospital in St. Paul. So I drove across the town um, and, and went to the hospital there, and it turned out that a, a college freshman or college sophomore was being life-flighted there. Uh, his family lived in Wisconsin, so I beat them there by hours. And uh, when I got there, I learned that this college sophomore from the University of Minnesota, he had drowned in just a total freak Uh, accident at a cabin with his friends and uh, and he had died so when his family got there I I did my best to comfort them with the gospel I prayed with them and and there was absolute sadness in that room for sure but there was also still hope they knew that they would see their their son again but then his sister came and his sister had been walking had been doing life in the the way that, that God lays out for us but but she had given up the faith she had walked away from the faith many years before and for her it was a completely different situation uh, for her, when she came in that room, there was absolutely no comfort for her as she mourned the death of her brother. There was, there was only grief. There was, there was only sadness. There was only that, that mourning without hope. And the difference between these two situations is, is this is what our psalm for this morning is talking about. Right? It's holding up for us this, this picture between a different, the difference between a life lived in, in faith with that confidence in our Savior and a life lived without hope. And it paints that picture with plants. All right, so first you have this, this big, healthy tree with strong roots that, that grow deep. And, and this tree is planted beside this stream of living water. And it's put there. And, and, and it's not that nothing bad will ever happen to it. It's not that it'll ever, it will never endure storms and, and, and hardship. But, but when the, the storms come, when the wind comes, when the drought comes, that it is strong enough to withstand those things. It produces big, beautiful fruit. And then in contrast to that, that big healthy tree by that stream of water, we have chaff. Right? This picture of the, the other way of doing life. And when you harvested wheat, you'd put it in this big bowl and they'd throw it in the air and the chaff, that little dry husk surrounding the, the wheat would blow away and that wheat would fall back down into the bowl. And our psalm says that a life lived without faith is like that chaff. That life without faith is like that husk that blows away in the wind with nothing of, of value, nothing of, of substance within it. A dry, empty, useless husk. What an illustration, right? One life lived deeply rooted in God's sustaining love. And one life lived drifting alone, disconnected from the source of life. Obviously, we look at that. We say, I want to be the tree, right? I want to be planted beside that that stream of water. I want to be strong. I want to to prosper in my life. And so our natural inclination is to look at this psalm as a checklist. All I have to do is not listen to, to wicked advice. All I have to do is not hang out with bad people. I got to read the Bible sometimes and, and then everything that I do will prosper. Then, then I'll be like that tree. I can do that. That's obtainable. But look how tricky sin can be because what's being described here also is exactly how sin works in our hearts. My first step is we're walking in the advice of the wicked. We're hanging out uh, with, with people who, do, who are doing life the world's way, and we see they don't look like dry, empty husks. They don't look like they're headed for doom and destruction. They're, they're nice people. They're, they're genuinely friendly, and, and it looks like they're enjoying their life. And so we, we are surrounded by uh, the, the, the advice of this world, and, and we allow it to, to permeate into our hearts. And before we know it, we're not just walking in their advice. We're standing on the path with sin. We're joining in, we start doing things in, in the way of the world instead of the way that God wants us to do them and it's, it's not fatal immediately to our faith. But before we know it, we're engrossed in that sin and we're sitting in the seat with mockers. We realize that we're not going the, 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 the path that God has laid out for us, we're sitting on the sideline, we're camping out in our sin and we're looking at those who are doing life God's way and we're laughing at them. James 2 in the New Testament, he talks about this progression of sin in our hearts and he says this, Each person is tempted when he is dragged away and enticed by his own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So first we have that temptation right there, right? It's presented by the world, by by our own sinful flesh, by Satan himself. And 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 it's there and we allow it to to take root in our heart and it becomes a sinful desire. And we look at that sinful desire, we say... It's not that big of a deal. It's not like I'm doing anything wrong. It's not a sinful action. It's just a sinful desire. But if left unchecked, James here says it gives birth to a sinful action. And again, if we let that sinful action fester, if we don't turn away from sin and repentance and turn towards the forgiveness of our God, that sin in our life becomes bigger and bigger and uglier and it becomes this monster that's whittling away at our faith. What we are doing in these situations, we're allowing sin to drag us off the path of doing life God's way. And before we recognize what's happening, we're doing life the world's way. And our relationship with God has been severed. Before we know it, we are no longer connected to that that source of life. Again, we look at these two paths and we say, I want to be that tree. I don't want that to happen to me. That, that, that's scary. I don't want to be disconnected from, from God. I don't want to be disconnected from his grace and his love and his mercy. So I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to try super, super hard, and I'm going to do life the right way. I'm going to fight every single day to do exactly what God wants me to do, to walk in his ways, to show him that, that I'm a good Christian. But again, that's not the answer. We can't will ourselves into obedience. Right? The past times where we allowed those, those temptations to take root in our heart and become sinful desires, which then gave birth to, to sinful actions. We can't make up for those by doing better things now. There, there has to be something else. Our text says, Blessed is the man who delights in the teaching of the Lord. And on his teaching he meditates day and night. That is a, a key word for us in our psalm this morning, Delights. Right, we delight in the teaching of the Lord because it's not just his law. Right? God doesn't just come to us and reveal to us this monster of our sin, this enormous problem, and then walk away. He doesn't just say, yeah, you are, are, are deserving of hell. Good luck with that. Because right? in his word, he also teaches us of our Savior. He teaches us about Jesus. And as you look at, at the first Psalm, I want you to realize, too, that Jesus really is the man Right, both figuratively and, and literally. He literally is the man. He, he, he is our almighty God who took on human flesh in order to be the man. And as a, as a human being, he, he faced all of the temptations that we face in all the same intensity, but he never once gave them a foothold. Right? Never once did that temptation provided by, by the world, provided by Satan right in front of him, never once did that temptation, did he allow it to become a sinful desire, let alone a sinful action. Jesus never once sinned. He did life God's way perfectly. And so what's so delightful to us, why we delight in the teaching of, of, of God's word is that Jesus didn't just do this to be our example. Right? He didn't just come and say, this is what you could have done. This is how you do it. This is what you should do. He came to be our replacement. We delight because Jesus died on the cross to suffer the destruction that our sins deserve. He did it to win for us forgiveness. He did it to win for us hope and a future in heaven with our God. So meditating on the the love and the grace of God, on the promise that he's given to us in his word, that's what leads us to a life lived in this world with hope and meaning and purpose. It's what leads to a a life of, of confidence and comfort. Because the more we meditate on on the word, the more we are led to the cross of Jesus over and over and over again. And it's there at the cross that we find that forgiveness that we need, that healing that we crave. And it's there at the cross that we see the fullness of the love that God has for us being poured out on us in, in its fullness by saying, this is my son whom I love, and here he is as a sacrifice for your sins so that you can be with me forever the more we meditate on that word, the more we meditate on the good news of of God's word, the more the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to strengthen our faith, the more he enables those roots to grow deep, to be more connected to that stream of living water, to be more connected to our Savior. The more we meditate on his word, the more he enables us to live a life of praise and thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. The more we do that, the more it's true that that when our life is, is over, Right? the more we are planted in the teachings of God's word and not the advice and the way of this world, the more we realize what a comfort that is on our deathbed. Because it's true, it is great to be a Lutheran on your deathbed, but it's great before then as well. Right? Because yes, we get to die in the confidence of knowing that, that Jesus' love is for me. Right, on your deathbed, you get to say with, with, with zero question, with zero fear, with zero trepidation that, that Jesus' grace and forgiveness are for you. That Jesus won eternity in heaven for you. That when you close your eyes in death, you will open them in eternity with your heavenly Father. So yes, we get to die in confidence, but we also get to live with that confidence as well every single day of our life. So in confidence in our Savior's work, in his redemption, and in his love, May God grant us deep roots and healthy fruit to his glory. Amen.